This is recording number 10910 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 6, 2011. This is the third message in the series titled, The Doctor's Gospel, by Randy Bolt. This message is titled, Repentance. The New Testament begins with the book of Matthew and then goes to Mark and then Luke. Once you get to there, turn to chapter 3. And we're continuing our study of this book that will take us some, some time. Uh, we're going to uh, not force our way through it, but try to savor it as we do, uh, as we make our way through it. And the title of this uh, series is called The Doctor's Gospel because it was written by a physician, Luke. And uh, that gives us uh, an understanding of the kind of perspective that he brought to his task of setting forward in an orderly and methodical way the things of uh, Jesus' life and ministry. And so today, we're going to be looking at the bulk of chapter 3. Follow along with me as I begin reading at verse 1. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... Pontus Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch, that means a ruler over a quarter, so uh, the Roman Empire, when they moved into a, an area, would divide it up into four or quadrants and assign a tetrarch to sort of be a governor over that region. So it says that uh, Tiberius was Caesar, Pontus Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was a tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip was the tetrarch of Iturea and the region of Trachonitis. And uh, Lysanias was the tetrarch of, of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. Now, what's important about all that is because it's very specific. Luke is being a doctor. He's being a physician and giving us the very specific details about when what happens next took place. Because what he's about to say now is that the word of God came to John. So he sets this very specific timetable. And he says, right when these things were happening, the word of God came to John. And we're talking about John the Baptist. And you remember from a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the announcement of John's birth to uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Well, it says, while this was going on, the word of God came to John. Now, in the New Testament, there's a couple of words that are used when the word word is used. Logos and rhema. And much has been made, maybe you haven't uh, been exposed to this, but much has been made about the distinction between the meaning of those two words. And, and uh, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it now, but logos or logos usually has to, is usually um, describing sort of the complete picture. In other words, that Bible that you hold or are looking at on your phone or your uh, tablet device, that word of God, logos, encompasses everything that God is saying to us. Rhema is used more, mostly when some uh, specific aspect of the logos is being said. God is wanting to communicate something uh, specific from his word to an individual or to people. And so 
John is out in the wilderness uh, doing his, uh, his thing. And it says, when all of this was taking place, the word of God, the rhema of God came to him. And this is what that rhema of God was about. Verse 3, And he went into all the region around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. God had spoken to John the Baptist and said, John, of course, he wasn't John the Baptist in those days. He was just John. He hasn't baptized anybody yet. But God spoke to John and said, John, I want you to preach. Go in the region, into all the region around the Jordan and preach a baptism, administrate a baptism of repentance toward and, and this is really important because the baptism that you and baptism was not an uncommon or an unknown uh, principle. People uh, of, of a variety of religions would use baptism as a symbol or a signal of a, a transition point in their life, and 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 even the Jews did. So uh, this was not an unknown um, activity. So John understood what the Lord was saying to him. I want you to preach a point of transition. I want you to call people to repentance, a baptism of repentance. Baptize people as a symbol of their, of their changing course. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. And it is that baptism is toward the remission or the pardon of sins. It is not the thing itself that brings pardon or forgiveness of sins. It is toward forgiveness. It's what sets the stage towards salvation and forgiveness. So that was what the, the word of the Lord to John was. And then it goes on and gives us a little more context for this. Verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, that's an Old Testament book, Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Luke has included this quote from Isaiah the prophet because he's saying to us what John was doing was not some isolated, out-of-the-ordinary thing. In fact, it is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that there would be one who preceded the Messiah and would, and would uh, set things in order for his, uh, his work of redemption. And that's what uh, John was doing. He was the one that was filling in the potholes, bringing down, or, you know, carving off the, the mounds and straightening the roads. So that's a super highway to the salvation of God. <clears throat> Verse 7. Then he, John, said to the multitudes, because people are gathering to uh, hear this preacher, John. So he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, meaning uh, you, you children of snakes. Not the kind of thing you, you would say to, you know, if you're trying to build a crowd. <laughs> But he addresses the multitude saying, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And, and he's going to begin to talk now about how repentance is not some sort of a, I don't know, a momentary emotional experience. That true repentance bears fruit. 
There is actual change that begins to take place. And so he says, bear, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. You know, when it comes to my heart being right with God, it really doesn't matter whether I'm an American, whether I grew up in a Christian family. It doesn't matter whether I go to church. You know, this is, uh, I, I didn't come up with this. Others have said it, and you, you certainly have heard it before. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage, make, garage makes you a car. I mean, there is a, a transition, a, a, a change of heart that's required and John is beginning to point to the fact that this baptism that you've come to have, all of you, he's saying, all of you, you've come to be baptized and that's great, but just know this is toward something. There's fruit that needs to flow from this. This is not something, you know, just you're going to check this one off your list of to-dos and now you're bound for heaven. Worse yet, don't fail to heed what I'm saying to you because you've excused yourself by thinking, well, I'm a Jew, I'm circumcised, I'm a child of Abraham, I'm in. He says, no, there's some reconsideration that needs to go on here. Verse 9, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized. And he said to them, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, There's something serious here going on when the soldiers are saying, Hey, what what do I need to do? You know, they're probably there originally to sort of keep the peace and make sure that there isn't a rebellion getting started. But they get swept up into this. And they say, what do we need to do? And so John says to them, do not intimidate or shake down people for money or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, because all this is, you know, such a a movement happening here that people are beginning to wonder. Because remember, the Jewish people live every day of their lives in anticipation of the Messiah coming, of the fulfillment of God's promises to them. This is their their lifelong hope that they would experience the redemption and recovery and restoration of God. And so John is drawing a crowd and he's saying things that are resonating deep within their hearts and they're beginning to wonder, is this the Messiah? And John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap... I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so John was saying, look, this is an important thing, but let's not forget that this, I'm just baptizing you with water. It's regular old Jordan River water, but there is someone coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit with fire. The significance of that was not lost on the people. I'd like to take you back through that passage that we just read a little bit and just talk about three things that I see in this passage that have to do with repentance that I'd like to take note of before we have communion today. 
and uh, then make our way home. Repentance. First of all, what is it? A lot of times we use that word and what we mean when we say it is that we feel bad about our sin. A person is repentant. That means they feel bad about what they've done. And you know, there, uh, a sense of sorrow over sin is an appropriate thing. I mean, I'll tell you what, when I stand before God, um, I'm going to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but there is going to be a point when my life is going to be examined, the Bible says, and everything that I've done for, for him will be remained and there will, or will remain and there will be um, reward for that, but everything that I've done for myself is going is to burn. And uh, don't tell me there isn't going to be some sense of regret about that. There is a... But repentance is not about sorrow over sin. Repentance is about changing your mind. And more than changing your mind, changing your activity. Changing your course. It's like making a U-turn. The word repentance means you stop going the way you've been going and go the right way. Go the right direction. It's pretty simple. But that's what John's message was. Hey, let's stop going away from God. Let's stop doing the things that are leading us far from God. Instead, let's begin to turn our hearts towards Him. Let's begin to move towards Him. Come, let me dunk you in the water as a symbol that what was once your course is no longer and you are rising from the water uh, going a new direction. Let this be the day of transition and change. And you turn your heart towards God, towards remission of sins, towards uh, forgiveness, towards the covering that the Messiah is coming to bring to you in forgiveness. So repentance is a very powerful thing and it is something not to be, um, it's something to be rejoicing in. Often, though, as I've said already, when we use the word repentance, we kind of want to go, oh, you know, I'm repentant. He's repentant. She's repentant. And I've already said, yeah, of course, there's a certain amount of godly sorrow that accompanies that process. But really, it's something to rejoice in. And I've gotten to the place in my life where I've become sort of a chronic repenter. Because it's so great. Just think of this. We've, we have a God in heaven who offers us the opportunity to repent. I am not locked into this path that I've chosen that's leading me farther and farther from the things that God would have for me. I have the possibility of repenting. That's exciting to me. Now, I wish I could catch my... I wish I was quicker on the draw than I am, but I thank God that when I find myself heading in the wrong direction, I, it dawns in me, oh, I can turn around. Amen. Repentance is good news, people. This is the greatest thing in the world, that we are not stuck in our sin. I think that would be a good place, although we are not a bunch of shouters and ameners around here, that'd be a good place to say, Amen. Amen. Repentance is great news. So I'm just kind of, I just have this ongoing prayer with God. God, whenever I'm straying, help me repent. 
But there's three things in this passage about repentance I want to uh, have you take note of. And verse 3, chapter 2, tells us when the word of God about the message that he, God wanted John to preach came to him. It says it came to him when he was in the desert, in the wilderness. And then verse 4, as, as uh, Luke uh, re- uh, uh, quotes from Isaiah, it says that this voice, Isaiah hundreds of years before this happens was prophesying about what would transpire uh, in, in preparation for the coming of the Messiah and he said that there will be a voice of one crying in the wilderness. I want to say to you that repentance will almost always flow from a desert. And what I mean by that is sometimes we get blinded to the, the course that we're on, you know? And what happens, though, here, you know, pay attention to this. What happens is it's that path starts to get drier and drier and more and more desolate. Instead of making excuses about that, instead of trying to figure out a way to, uh, you know, make it less unpleasant, I think it's important for us just to realize, wait a minute, something's wrong here. The life of God is not a desert. The blessing of God is not a dry, deserted place. When you start to feel, some of you this morning feel that way. When you start to feel like you're in a desert place, consider repentance. Go the other way. You know, one of the great things about about repentance is that, and I don't know, I don't know how God does this. This is one of the great mysteries of the grace of God. But it seems like, you know, I'm on, I'm on this path that the Lord has set for me, and then I diverge, right? And I can get way out here. You know what I mean? Okay, so I'm the only one? Really? Seriously? Well, anyway, let me tell you about this then, since you've never had this experience. But I, I get off course, and I can end up way out here, and I'm, and I'm you know, it's like I feel that dryness, that desert thing, and it's like, what happened? Oh. And you can almost feel like, oh, I can't get back. It's so far back. I'm so far from, from the things of God. And the shame, the guilt of it, the, the oppressive nature of that just kind of overwhelms you. But one of the great mysteries of the grace of God is that, and I cannot explain it as I've said, but it's like when, my, when I turn with true repentance in my heart, it's almost like there's a, like, I don't know, a shortcut or something, but I, I end up back there where I belong. And I don't have to fight my way back through all of the stuff that I have, you know, sadly walked away from God by. He, I don't mean it's, I don't mean the grace of God is cheap, and I don't mean that there isn't stuff that you have to kind of, you know, sort out as you, as you deal with having veered off course from God. But it, 
there is this amazing grace that causes us to be able to, having turned in repentance, find ourselves on a highway to salvation. And that's the next thing I want to to say to you is that repentance paves the way to salvation. That's what verses 3 through 6 tell us. And he went into all the region around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. You, know, you, you look back and you think, how can I get back? How can I get back? Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth. God makes this shortcut. I don't know. He does something marvelous that brings us to verse 6. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now salvation is a very important word. It's a big word. And of course, most importantly, it refers to that point in time when I cross from doubt into faith. You know, salvation is, there is a definite point in time. There is a a boundary that you cross. But it's really a process. And it begins, you know, it follows you your whole, whole life. God drawing you to, your, to himself. God drawing you to himself. And there's twists and turns and rebellion in our hearts and everything else that can forestall it even permanently, sadly, permanently for, forestall us coming to a point of faith. But it isn't because God isn't drawing us. He is. He's drawing us. He's drawing us. And we begin to find ourselves moving closer to that tipping point. Where on one side, I doubt more than I believe. But on the other side, I believe now more than I doubt. It doesn't mean that there aren't doubts, but I have crossed the tipping point. That tipping point, the Bible says, is salvation. When I have chosen to believe in Jesus as my Savior. And as I begin to move on from there and along this continuum, I'm finding myself believing more and doubting less. I'm believing more and doubting less. Salvation, you know, is about that. But it's a bigger word than that. How many of you have stuff you need saving from? Listen, when Jesus went to the cross, he said, It is finished. There's nothing more that, no more that could be paid. No price that he left off the table. He paid it all. And that means for every single thing in your life that needs saving today. There is the power of God to save, to heal, to deliver, to redeem and restore. But repentance sets that up. Repentance sets that up. The message of repentance creates a a highway to salvation. The last thing is that repentance is contextual. Let me explain. Repentance is contextual. It's not the same for every person. 
you know, uh, in computer software, they talk about contextual help. You know, you, you're on a certain window or doing a certain task and you press the help button and it offers you up help for that particular task or that particular issue, right? Contextual. It's about what you're actually dealing with. When these people came to the waters of baptism and they're, they, you know, John has a captive audience. I mean, these people are crushing him to try to get into the water. Yes, I want to repent. I want to lay aside the things that I've been doing. I want to turn from the path that I've been on. And then they start to say, John, what do we need to do? Because he said that repentance bears fruit. Okay? Repentance is an action that brings fruit. It's a choice that brings fruit. Something results from it. And so they say, John, what do we need to do? Notice that John doesn't say, well, you need to go sit on that mountain cross-legged and stare into your navel for the next 24 hours. He doesn't say, hey, well, you need to get out some beads and count them off and, you know, say, repeat after me. He doesn't say, you know, I want you to, uh, you know, read... 50 chapters in the, in the Bible, you know, over the next uh, day and a half. You know, I mean, he, he doesn't give the expected stuff. In fact, you could easily miss what he says. He says, well, if you got two coats, give one of them away. You got some extra food, give, it, give some to somebody who doesn't have enough. The tax collectors come. Because, you know... Uh, it's contextual. So he has something to say differently to the tax collectors. They say, well, what do we need to do, John? He says to them, collect no more than, than what is appointed for you. Because you see, these tax collectors, this is how they, they made their living, really. I mean, they, they were reimbursed for the job of collecting taxes, but they were free to, to keep whatever they could collect above their quota. And so that's one of the reasons why they were so despised by the people. And he says, stop doing that. It's wrong. And then the, the soldiers come to him and they say, well, John, what should we do? We're not tax collectors. And he says to them, well, stop shaking people down for money. He says, stop making false accusations. He says, be content with your wages. That's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that John said repentance looks different for each person because the context of each person's life is different. The things that have caused you to be distanced from the Lord are different from each, for each person. It's not one size fits all. But I also want you to notice here, before I let this go, that to some of us, these look easy. But for each one of these people, what, what John was suggesting was very, very tough. Repentance is simple, but not ever easy. Never. Let me give you an example I've used before. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. 
God gave Adam and Eve two commands, one thing to do, one thing not to do. He said, make babies and don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Be fruitful and multiply, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One thing to do, one thing not to do. They did the, they did the thing they were not to do. Now, what do they do? They do the thing that God said for them to do that they hadn't yet done. That act was a repentant act. Now you might want to say, well, making babies, how hard could that be? Well, listen, God had just said to Adam, Adam, from here on out, earth is going to fight with you for your very existence. Can you imagine Adam signing up to, for another mouth to feed in that context? That was a tough one. How about Eve? Eve, because of sin, this ain't going to be easy. It's going to be pain. There's going to be, yeah, it's not going to be pleasant. No other woman has ever gone through childbirth, by the way. I was talking to, to Maria about her pregnancy before the service started today. I bet it's comforting. I, I could not offer this comfort to her because I've never been through it. But I bet it is comforting to you to know that not only have you survived pregnancy before, but others have too. And you know there's blessing on the other side of it. But if you don't know that, and all you've heard from God is this is going to be tough, you're probably not going to be quick to sign up for this. Listen, it may seem, and it is, repentance is simple, but it's never easy. And it's contextual. It's not the same for you as it is for me. As we come now to the communion table, I'm going to ask you to, cons- to do, imagine something with me. I'm kind of blending two sacraments here together today. I want you to consider... As you come to the table, because I'm going to invite you to come yourself. We're not going to serve you today. We're going to ask you to serve yourself. As you come to the communion table today, I'm going to invite you to consider this almost like the waters of baptism. Let this mark the spot of a transition, a change. You know, I don't think it would be Inappropriate for me to say that every single one of us needs to repent of something today. We need to stop going that way and go God's way. Let's let this place, this table, this spot be for us today like the waters of baptism that signal a transition toward remission, toward redemption, toward Salvation, And as we take of the bread that reminds us that there is salvation because Jesus died on the cross. And we drink of the cup and are reminded that there is a promise of restoration and recovery and cleansing of sin because Jesus allowed his blood to be spilt. Let's let forgiveness and redemption flow. Amen.